0: Welcome to The Mind Behind It. My name is Huda.
1: And I am Sile. Alright, we're back for the final one. The final countdown. Fine, the final episode. Final count, yes, the final, the final
0: episode. Yeah, the final for episode. For our entire show.
1: Yeah, for The Mind Behind It. Yeah. But it's just the beginning.
0: Is it? That
1: fucking sounds lame. <laughs> when people say it's it's the end, but it's just the beginning. No, it's the end.
0: Like it's actually the end. Yeah,
1: we're ending it. <laughs> Why um, are we ending it?
0: Because it's very difficult to keep up with life as well as yeah. full-time work, mm-hmm. as well as everything we want to achieve. You know, we're getting to a point where, you know, we've spoken to so many people from all over the world. We have to schedule all the different time frames we've got like usa time you know euro time all sorts so it's really hard
1: just all of europe has one time zone <laughs> euro time
0: just euro time what's
1: the time it's 5 p.m euro time <laughs> oh so russia and fucking spain have the same they're time. all the same <laughs> no it's primarily because we are making some big life changes
0: yeah we are we are about to make huge changes you know, shifts in our own personal I thought you were going to say
1: huge shits. You're about to take huge <laughs> shits. Sometimes you do look at someone's shit and you go, wow, you haven't chatted for a while. You know when you enter the bathroom after someone else and there's still remnants left?
0: Ugh. Yeah, you know what, though? I think that, like, my bowel movements, like, I, I'm really good now. I used to, it would be days for me. Like, Is it days. because of your
1: diet change? Yeah, I think so because you're not eating meat
0: yeah and it's like helped but it's funny because now my the remnants that you were talking yeah. about it's not as bad as it used to be anymore because obviously yeah. it's like it's not stewing in there anymore
1: no uh, maybe don't say stewing
0: <laughs> stewing just means it's
1: been in there like warming up oh is this is bubbling
0: well that's what it feels like yeah after it's a while.
1: fucking gross mm. that's so disgusting
0: but yeah so
1: but it's great when it comes out of yeah. your body your body feels like Thank God you got that rock out of my body.
0: This rock.
1: It hurts sometimes. It does. When you shit so hard, it hurts. Yeah. Has it ever happened to you? When yeah, you, you get hemorrhoids. So, yeah, I've had blood. Yeah. Because you, I shat so hard.
0: <laughs> this is a great note to end us on.
1: Yeah, it's like just, it's just a bloodbath.
0: Bloodbath, Blood, bath. blood bath, it's literally. Like,
1: it's like Hitler after the Jews. Oh, don't. Yeah, that's a bad joke. That's a bad joke. Which is why we are ending this.
0: This is why. This is precisely why. Yeah. You make bad jokes.
1: No, I make really good jokes, but they're not, you know, the best.
0: For the greatest.
1: They're not politically correct jokes.
0: No, they're very not.
1: Yeah. But the whole idea is that we want to work on other projects. Yes. Which we think the reason we started the podcast was to get traction and, you know, see what people were interested in listening and...
0: Now, and we were, we've we never podcasted before.
1: And we've never podcasted before. And we got, like, people from, like, 56, 59 countries now.
0: No, 63.
1: Oh, 63. Okay. So
0: it keeps going up. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so
1: we know that, you know, people are interested in hearing more from us. So we decided, okay, let's – what's the next step?
0: Yes. And we will be changing it up a little whenever yeah. the new thing comes out. So, yeah, we are going to be working in the background. It's not like, you know – it's not like we're forever gone type thing, but...
1: No, we're not dead.
0: <laughs> no, we're
1: not dead. Although if we were dead, at least at least we have something out there with our yeah, names on it.
0: Yeah, right? Yeah. People can still listen to us.
1: Yeah, we are there forever.
0: <laughs> yeah, out there in the world.
1: But I, I never understood, like, where does Spotify, like how big is their memory base? Like how much shit can you store?
0: I know. I don't know. But anyways, so what we're doing today is because we have actually recorded a fair few podcasts and we just don't have the time. We have a very busy lifestyle. But also
1: the scope. We wanted to suss out what scope these other episodes were going to fit in yes. and what areas of conversation they could be streamlined to. Yes. See so how I made, made it sound smart? Yeah, you did. But yeah, you basically didn't have fucking time.
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, so what she said. So what we're going to do today is we're going to put snippets of some of the episodes that we have recorded that have not been released. You know, hopefully you guys can get something out of it. It's going to be very different topics, but we're going to just, we're going to do our best. We'll put like...
1: Yeah. Think about, think about those, like we're giving you the highlights of some of those episodes. You know, the stuff that we think that, that were like great pieces of advice or like... like, Interesting topics that they spoke about, knowledge that mm-hmm. you know might benefit you. So we're just gonna put those together for you in like a package. It's like a gift from us to you.
0: <laughs> okay, that's that's really corny. But anyway.
1: No, it is a gift. Well, it's 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 the time for gifts, right? Christmas. It's oh, a yes, Christmas gift. Yes, exactly. It's the time to be jolly. Yes. La la la, la la
0: la 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 Okay. So we're doing that,
2: and I hope you enjoy that. Yep. I am Tasha Jackson. I live in San Francisco and I'm a psychotherapist. Mom of two. I went to undergrad and I was doing really crappy in my psychology classes that I took. Yeah. And I had a professor who said, if you can't get straight A's, you can't get your PhD and you should just give up this dream. Oh my god. Like yeah. Yeah, he was kind of, he was kind of a dick. Wow. Um and so I switched majors into a com major and a teacher there kind of pulled me aside and said, I think your ideas are phenomenal here. They seem very much interested in still in psychology. Yeah. But I think dyslexia. And it sort of was an answer to why I had struggled with academia. Such life. as like report writing and, yep. I,
3: Anything.
0: Yeah. I hated APA formatting and referencing. It was disgusting. Also, I think it's it's funny that you didn't find out until a lot later as well. It's quite common. That happens often, doesn't it?
2: Yeah. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people go through all of life not now. Mm. So this, can I be a funny.
1: bit personal and you can shut me down. What did the first <laughs> counselor say to you, which was the bad advice?
2: Man, you probably hypnotized me and get back to that. <laughs> I don't remember, but it was just something... I had discovered that my mom was gay. Yeah. And you have to, I lived out in the countryside. Which is hot. And yeah, and then this is way back in the 80s. This Mm -hmm. is not something that was acceptable. And I remember her advice was something along the lines of, well, you got to keep that quiet or that's something to suck up. So it was something along those lines of being homophobic.
1: Something along the lines that is homophobic, totally homophobic. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Absolutely.
3: I
1: think we should call homophobia homophobia rather than... I think we try to play it safe because we also want to be respectable, but...
0: Would this then have triggered your, your most recent sort of, I guess, understanding around the
2: LGBTI community then? It fell on my lap. A lot of my career has kind of fallen on my lap, which is a weird way of saying that. I just, maybe out of total laziness, people keep telling me, oh, you should have a niche, you should have a niche, but it's fallen on my lap. Okay. So with, I was doing volunteer work while I was going to graduate school, counseling LGBTQ families in this organization. Yep. And so I was watching these patterns happen and then they were having me speak. And then at one point there was a place like, Hey, will you go speak and look at your observations to the APA? Right. And I'm like, okay, I'll, you know, gather some of, at that point I I finished graduate school and I was like, we really couldn't, imp- Apply that things I've noticed working, volunteering with these families into clinical observations. Right, and I was starting to get these clients in my private practice, and so I did a talk on that. I was kind of, I was super nervous, really young, going, okay, here are my observations. People hadn't done research on gay parenting or queer parenting at that time at all. And so I put it together, and here are all these distinguished psychiatrists and me, at maybe, I don't know how old I was, 28, 29, saying all this. And then afterwards, someone heard it and said, why don't you put this into a journal, a medical journal? Mm-hmm. And so I typed it up, and they published it in a medical journal. And then from there, researchers took that because no one had done that. I didn't know nobody had done that. Yeah. And then researchers from different schools went off and researched I didn't even know that happened. That's amazing. So, it was pretty crazy. <laughs> it, it, like, seven years later, somebody from Harvard called me and said, and I'm like, oh, you have me at Harvard. You know what I mean? It's like kind of like uh, an intellectual crush. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they called me saying, hey, I'm so impressed by your research. Will you do research with me? And I'm like, oh, my God, I, I'm not a researcher. I like mm. my clinical work, but I'm honored. But I had no clue. It kind of had just taken its like yeah. own path and wait a minute path. yeah
1: did you just reject Harvard <laughs> I
2: did, oh. yes, that's like, that's
3: true. I did. Like,
1: suck on it Hobbit.
3: <laughs> I love it oh that's great how crazy. many people can say that <laughs> Man, you just made me feel like I'm nervous that. <laughs>
0: a lot of the time when we first meet someone, we say, you know, it's a very oh, you know, it was like love at first sight or whatever it is, right? Because there's so much intensity and passion in those relationships and I find oftentimes they end up quite toxic. And I mean it's not to say they all are, you know, but I do find that they end up is there a reason behind that or is there is there anything to support that it happens in those sorts of situations where it's this unrealistic sort of I don't know, you look at someone, you're like, man, I've just fallen for this person.
2: The general, it's interesting the stats when you have, if you've been in a relationship for more than two years before you get married, because then that relationship that gets married after two years, I think the stats are that they'll still stay together longer. The idea mm. that the masks have come down, people really know each other, projections aren't there, a little bit of that relationship high Yeah. Of, yeah. Is gone and it's moved into a, this different type of love. Yeah. So yep. that's the idea. So I think that's just that's a normal first two years kind of bit of really who yeah. are you.
1: You I know th- what my theory about that is? Well, I think you come down from the high and you really get to know your significant other once you've smelled their poo. Okay. That's the test. If you can pass the poo test, anything after that, and you still want to be with that person, then you know.
2: Do you physically have to go to the toilet and smell their poo?
1: No, someone's gonna carry it and put it on a platter for you. Of okay, course you'll have to go okay. to the bathroom. Alright. How's that a good question? That's not a great <laughs> follow up question.
2: <laughs> okay,
0: whatever.
1: Because it's quite so intimate. It's really the most intimate thing is to share that fragrance with someone. <laughs>
0: fragrance. I wouldn't go as far as calling it a fragrance um how do you know when to leave though, Tash? like you know i think a lot of the time i find a lot of my friends often go but you don't understand i love them
1: and you've said that before as well so not just your friends you have been in that situation a
0: very right? long time ago but that's what i'm saying so how do you know ago,
3: not that long three, ago,
0: three actually more than
2: that but three? yeah
3: yeah cool three
2: okay, sorry i've got lost in the timeline there so <laughs> so the question is how do you know when it's toxic and how when you should leave and what other people tell you and how to differentiate that mm-hmm. am i getting that right okay yeah so you know there's a ted talk by somebody oh. out there who claims and their their story was you should only trust your friends and other people more than yourself and i just can't buy into that personally because mm. uh, i believe that when there's that couple it's only you and them that really know how that feels between the two of you. And that mm-hmm. intimacy is so different. And God, I don't want them in my bedroom either. Like, actually, I shouldn't say that. It's not true. Whatever. Anybody do their own thing. But, <laughs> People um, do. People
0: do it actually. No,
1: you... <laughs> it's really creepy. 100% Dasha. You don't want to say it. That's fine. It's, it's different
2: it's fucking if, it's, creepy. if it's,
0: it's different if it's not planned. No,
1: it's not different. Like, even if it's not planned, someone has to leave the room. <laughs> You can't just okay. have your friends. Family watching.
2: creepy. Other people, if they want other people, they're voyeuristic. <laughs> so, when to leave? I mean, I think that's that self, knowing that self, mm-hmm. knowing who you are and really being secure with that. And, cause we will be influenced by that person who's with us and we want to be influenced, but then there's that point of losing ourselves and what we know and being able to be really in tune with that gut. And that's such an individual thing. Obviously, there's that extreme toxicity of abuse. You know, verbal neglect, all that kind of, that's another realm. But I think most mm-hmm. of us get confused with that back part of like, well, some of my needs are in that and some of them aren't. Can I, is it enough here that I could work with it or, you know, should I step away? And that's just an individual thing.
1: Yep. And how do you guide someone or like three tips you could give someone to really know who they are? Because that's, well, that's, that's, huge that's, that's crucial, right? So you have kids now who are growing up, like, do you somehow, you know, help them understand that or at least attempt at it before you get into a relationship?
2: Yeah, that's an amazing question. I think as an adult, I'll go for my kids. Like, I just hope versus something to say to them, I just hope that they feel respected and they know what it's like to be listened to and know that they have Mm self-worth. And if I can give those things, like showing a healthy relationship between me and them, my hope is then that would transcend their relationships ongoing. Mm-hmm. And maybe they'll get lost in life and they probably will and it'll probably be good for them in some form. But they could always fall back with like, okay, I know that this is healthy, what I've taught but that feeling versus mm-hmm. like something that I maybe could say. And then as an adult, I think that place of going, okay, how do I really know myself, is kind of coming back with even trauma work with a therapist is really mm-hmm. huge. Is often, even in subtle ways, we've been gaslighted by people around us. Mm. Oh, you had a, I had a really bad day at school. Oh no, you didn't, it wasn't that bad. You mm. basically just dismissed that kid's feelings versus going, deeper because then the parent or whoever they're talking to can tolerate the feelings okay what happens tell me more yeah holy conversation Mm -hmm. you're in it still with them it's intimate yes but I think if enough of those add up in a childhood and you're like okay no one like no one cares or people you're not sure what your own feelings are because you've been told not to feel that way yeah and then you're an adult going okay I've been told that somebody else needs to be taken care of first, not me, and how do I show up in a relationship if I don't know myself?
0: Uh, When you're young, I I think it's one of those things where everybody is so desperate to get into relationships because it's the cool thing to do. I mean, how do you advise parents address that sort of stuff? I mean, do you think that, you know, if you're going to have this conversation or like my kid's interested in people now romantically, you know, how does a parent approach that so that they're well equipped, I guess, in a way, and it's not just, I guess, about birth control? And I could be wrong. I mean, maybe that is the most important thing, but I don't know. What, What would you
2: say to that? Um, I think it's an ongoing question. I think there's a place of just having an open atmosphere. I hate giving parenting advice in some ways because okay. I am so maybe not the parent to follow. It's like, we'll see how I do in 25 years because no one gave me a manual. Yeah. So, but that being said, like psychologically it's like for me it's like creating an open atmosphere for yeah. constantly like okay because my daughter is 12 mm-hmm. 12 and a half I mean so I know it's gonna come here like teaching obviously the basics but then also like okay come to me with these things yeah it's okay come up. culturally I think this is fascinating if I can geek out with you guys for a little bit yeah definitely I remember <laughs> in graduate school we were taught culturally how different it is to cultures with sex. And I remember my teacher talking about this island, I think it's called Island of Man, and it was the extreme where they Even when they fell in the water, they had to wear clothes all the time. They had sex with clothes on. Wow. And even they weren't taught swimming very much. And so they'd fall in the water. They wouldn't want to take off their clothes and people would drown. And I think they've changed their ways since internet and they've become a little bit more open. Mm -hmm. So that was one extreme at the time. And then the other extreme was they wouldn't actually publish the place where it was, but it was in Polynesia. Mm. And it was this culture where, at a certain age, they would encourage the children to go out and have sex, and they when they came back, the men were or boys were told like, "Hey, I really want to make sure you have the girl to have orgasm first mm. and it was pretty much said to have like three times a day was to have sex was interesting.
3: What about yeah. lunch? <laughs> <laughs>
1: And also, like, if you're really going to have sex with clothes on, wear your best outfit, right? <laughs> like, I would wear great clothes.
0: <laughs> I think if you're doing it that many times a day, you'd get a bit over it.
1: Three times is not that much. Uh, so we had a statistic that came out, uh, Tasha, about I think the number of babies that are going to be born in Australia this winter, well, your winter, mm-hmm. it's it's like the most it's ever been, and it's gone up by, like, 20%. It's
2: because of COVID wow. lockdowns. Because of lockdowns. Wow, ours went down.
1: No, 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 so it went up, so it's going to go up, sorry, by 20 to 30%. But yours
2: went down. Ours is going down. Oh, yours? Less.
1: So you're yeah. saying I'm not That's good at listening. Saying. I totally didn't listen to you. I'm so
2: sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I was more of adding to it because, um, and the thoughts were that people were too stressed to have sex.
0: Yeah. No, people are very not stressed here. Do you think it's to do with the fact that the government was giving them, like, Absolutely. financial support? Absolutely. As compared to maybe the one? Yeah, okay. Did you guys get financial st- support, like, from the government here? Yeah, they say that's why they were too stressed.
1: And people are encouraged to have kids here, right? Like, it's, it's still a big thing to have kids in Australia because Australia's population is nothing, and we're going to have more old people now. First dates are, like, worse than first days at school. I overthink the hell out of it. Like, what should I order? Am I eating too fast? And then there's so much pressure. If you didn't, haven't kissed the girl by the end of the first date, that means nothing's happening and automatically go into this negative state of mind. Then you wait for them to text you for the next time. Are you, should you ask them for the second date at the end of the first date? It's just...
0: Mind games, though?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of mind <laughs> games. I mean, you've written a great book, The Master Data, and I want people to kind of segue from this conversation and go read that book. But if you can just give some of the ideas and you know tips to ground themselves and not overthink the next step, And is it different for men as compared to women?
2: (laughs) Oh my god, that's a great question. I think there's a reality when I watch some of my clients just sort of dive into it and recognize it's hard or make it work for them in their own ways. So I had a client who did only coffee dates. She's like, I'm not going to spend my evening with some douchebag. Or worry about all this stuff all day long. I'm just going to go do 10, 20 minute coffee dates, and then see from there. Hmm. And I'm like the worst is I've spent five dollars. Yeah. And so I, I think there's unless a hard it's
1: at 7-Eleven, then it's only a dollar. A dollar coffee is it's really great coffee too.
2: <laughs> if, you know what? You should take all your dates on 7-Eleven day. What's 7-Eleven day is Sloppy Day, though,
0: right? That's true.
3: Oh, Something really?
0: Like yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah, you take like a big-ass cup, like however big you want, because you take you your own get them high
1: on sugar. <sighs> just like, they're just bouncing off walls. Yes.
2: And it feels good, right? they have a like, what a
1: great date. And then the sugar high comes down and you're like, oh, i know. what's
2: it? <laughs> These are great strategies. I think mean, you have not bunch you. <laughs> I I think getting the lens around what makes somebody comfortable, like your own self, comfortable. I think it comes down to anxiety again. Right? There's more rumination happening. What if? What this? How mm. can we feel comfortable in what we're doing? How can we feel whole? I mean, I think sometimes it takes a team of like friends afterwards that you can call. Going, I did this. This and like okay. That's fine. That's normal. And because well, there's no rules to this, and each person's different, each situation's different, and just trusting yourself at the end of the game, sort of self-soothing. God, I just did the best I could.
0: Yeah. mm mm-hmm. And, um... And no playing games, I think.
1: Well, so... They're play games. Well, you say that, right? You say that, but... Everything on social media, everything on the internet suggests the opposite. There are all these tricks that you have to do, like... Right. Don't text a girl. You know, straight away after the first date ends. You wanna make sure that you give it two days so that they miss yeah, you. I
3: feel like Or yeah. don't don't
1: be too needy. Like that's that's the one like I'm always really scared about because I am too needy sometimes. And only because I'm like, why should I wait, right? Like if I want this person, I want this person. Mm-hmm. And then people kind of go, Whoa, 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 that's way too needy, dude. Like you need to calm your tits down. And then you take that experience in every sort of next person, whoever you date, and you go, you it's like a checklist, you don't want to do this wrong. And there's so many movies and TV shows about mm-hmm. this, it's really hard to actually be yourself and kind of go and take your advice, actually, and go, I did the best that I can. That kind of calms down my nervous system and goes, and that's kind of the idea that I think people say, it's like, don't be needy. It's
3: that idea of, oh, I did the best I can. Like, mm-hmm. let them decide now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And this place of going. Kind of- you know, the part where I have clients who say the same thing to me, like, oh, I feel like I'm needy. I'm like, uh, yeah, we have needs. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. to look at, like, hey, here are my emotional needs. I need to know if you're interested in it. Yeah. And, like, you know what? If you're not, then I'm a catch, and, like, screw you. Yeah. You know, there's just that lens around it, like.
1: Ooh, you pointed at something really interesting there. You said, I'm a catch. And screw you. Well, screw you, sweetheart. No, but not
2: but <laughs> don't take my advice. No,
1: no, no. But I think there's something really, really, truly important. There is. I never considered myself a catch, and that's why you tend to be. And you Worried. made a really smart distinction between having needs and being needy. Smart. <laughs> but knowing that you're a catch, and you know that comes with all the things, the trauma that you have to deal with before you can. It's easy in theory to say I'm a catch. But to actually believe that you're a catcher is a completely different thing. And it takes people years. Well, it's taken ages. And I still have doubts.
2: We're going to walk into any situation in that a passed with us, right? And then we come into the stresses of what a situation is, right? Dating's going to be, you know, stressful in moments, moment. And we're going to wonder and have an anxiety And we can really do feel like we're a catch, but still we could play off and it feels nerve wracking. What are they going to judge me? Did I do this right? And there's something to be said about being aware of ourselves, right? Like that's a good thing that we're not walking in like, hey, you know, hey, you know, like screw you, like being told jerk and cocky. But I think there's a part of if we can heal this past part of ourselves, that we're not carrying the heavy part of the past and the future, I'm using hands, I don't think anybody in our podcast could do this. <laughs> but, um, right. If we can heal this part, it's not as heavy. Yep. So those old wounds we're working through, we heal them, we realize they're not our fault, and that we are a good person, Yeah. then it's less heavy walking in. Does that make sense?
3: Yes.
1: And that it's enough to be just a decent person. Mm-hmm. Like, that's enough.
2: Well, I don't know. Also, oh,
0: see, see if that's this, enough. this
1: is why it's hard okay this no, no, is no, why no. It's hard. So i'm gonna because say something because even if you're a decent person other people like her have a problem with that this is why it's hard you're <laughs> just case in point
0: now, okay so i'm just gonna, gonna say both. something um and this is okay I, i've got too many points to make now so i'm just gonna try and
1: organize your all
0: thoughts
2: organize my thoughts
0: oh. <laughs> i'm glad because it's gonna take a while um So we're going to the point of you just saying, oh, you know, there's decent people, blah, 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 blah. Yes, 100% I agree to some aspect, but I do feel as if that can't be the one thing that we put out there as like the most important thing because I think... I never said that.
1: I didn't say that that's the most important thing, but that should be a prerequisite to anything after.
0: Yes, but I think it's easy to be a nice person as well.
1: No, it's not. How is it easy to be a nice person? It's very hard to be...
0: But it's easy to meet nice people. Like the amount of times you'll often go, oh, they were really nice. Oh, they were really nice. Oh, they were really nice. But that's what I'm saying. Is that enough then? Because I'm going to go to my sister, okay? So my sister, she, you know, she dated someone who was nice. But then there were all these other issues that kind of came up. And then, you know, eventually they broke up because in the end he didn't turn out to be so nice. And then she met somebody else and then she's like, you know, oh, I don't know what to do because they're really nice. He's nicer than, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I think this concept of, oh, this person's really nice. And I always say to her, I'm like, yeah, okay, most people can be quite nice. But when do you decide, okay, this really – because I've got nice friends. I've got heaps of nice people in my life. Why don't I just go date all my nice people? So I think that's what I mean by like you've got to consider, I think – what's important to you as well, right? Like values and all that sort of stuff. And does that person fit into your value system?
2: If I could maybe um, reflect some of the stuff here and see if I can piece this out. I mean, I inherently believe that people are good people. Like they're, they have goodness within them. And I like to take that approach, whether it comes out or not. But I, you know, I think it comes back to the two year, like staying in a relationship for two years. Like, when there's conflict, then what happens between the people? And often there's a joke between, you know, friends or therapists, therapist friends. It's like, will the garbage match? Will somebody else's garbage that they bring or ability to handle a situation match with somebody else's? Because we're going to have conflicts, but it's how we heal from the conflicts. So with your sister, my question is, okay, could, did they ever, they fought, but did they ever heal? Mm. Where there's a way of seeing each other, because no two people are not going to have a conflict. But of do you really get over the over the stuff, or does it start piling on and then you've created a wedge between the two people? Yeah, that's yeah. why
1: I think um, my poo test works perfectly metaphorically still as well. On that
2: fucking poo if test. If you're
1: okay with someone's poo smell, the garbage, right? The garbage analogy. Then that's when you know that it's okay. Yeah. And a lot of times, I think you're right. Like a lot of people. Because of their past childhood traumas are very, they resist conflict. Conflict is very tough. It's harsh and it's actually the true indicator of, you know, whether a relationship will work or not. Like just case in point yesterday, my mom and my dad, they were in the kitchen. It's Sunday, Sunday morning, right? There's no problem. They have money. They're fine. They're doing well. And uh, they bought a new Colombian mix of uh, coffee, coffee beans, mm-hmm. Colombian coffee beans. And my dad was going to make it. He made it, and then my mom started pointing out all these issues with it, like the beans are not great or it's not perfectly ground. And I could see my father's impulses to say something about it. But every time I could see in his head go, is this worth it? Is this worth it? Is this worth it? Is this worth it? (laughs) And it happened like five or six times before he said, I think this is fine. If this is not okay with you, that's totally okay. I think it's okay. (laughs) And then my mom didn't have anything else to say, and that was how... The conflict had a resolution. I went, ah, that's how they make it work. <laughs> it's like my father knows when to speak and when is the right time to make his point.
3: Mm-hmm. Like, how
1: many times does he go, uh, uh-uh, uh,
3: uh-uh, uh, uh-uh. that's the one I'll say it now.
2: <laughs> it's yeah, like, there's something beautiful about calling the kettle, or was it calling that kettle was cold? You know, when do you, you know, when is it not when people are up here to have the conversation?
3: Exactly.
2: Yeah, I think that goes across all relationships. Like you can't
0: speak, you know, I always have this theory where I'm like, if I'm really, really upset, I'm the type of person that I'll just be like, I'm just not going to say anything right now because whatever I'm about to say isn't going to be nice.
2: Mm -hmm. Your brain brain is flooded at that point. You're flooded and it's Mm -hmm. not, we're not critically thinking. Mm -hmm. So it's like, such an important place to like. Okay, cool down. Yeah, and then, but making a point in relationships, sometimes we don't come back and actually speak our truth or speak what's going on with us, and then it eats us up, and we've avoided yes. conflict.
0: There that's is that's a good. fine balance there, actually. Yeah, you often don't. You just put, you know, you shove things under the rug, and you just go, oh, I'll just, I'll just leave that one.
1: Which I think a lot of times, like I've seen, comes from, you know, again, childhood trauma, abandonment issues, where you feel if you did say the truth, they'll leave you. And you go, oh, my God, what if they leave me? And especially as you grow older, that pressure becomes even more. It ties up with it when Mm. you're – it's okay if someone leaves you in your 20s. Someone leaves you in your 40s, you're like, holy shit, now what? And I love um Amy Schumer. I don't know if you've ever heard her bit about her finding a husband at 36. At 36, when you find a guy, that guy has been through all the best shit, you know, the the creme de la creme. (laughs) And now he's prepared for me. Like, he's seen the West and the West and the West, and he's been through all, and now mm-hmm. he meets me. This is the right time. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow, that's a, such a great message about, you know, she's like, I never rushed into it.
0: And that's, once again, going back to time, right? Like, we have this pressure where we end up sometimes because of time with the wrong person because we're chasing mm-hmm. that clock so much that we end up, you know what, this will do.
1: Do you have people who come to you with that, Tasha, who says, am I settling here? Should I settle? Or is that just a perception thing and both people are actually equal?
2: You know, there's some books that um, are written out there by therapists that are basically, you should not be, you should not go for your unicorn, you should settle. I know if somebody told me that, I would be going, ooh, that doesn't feel good, right? Mm -hmm. That you're not worthy of what you want. So... My daughter, if she came to me and said, oh, you know, I feel like I need to settle because time's running out. I'd be sad. So I I think it's pointing out like nobody's perfect. That's a cognitive distortion. And I think we all know that. But it's like, are there flaws not going to affect my needs? Am I going to get all my needs met? Am I going to get what I want? And we can both see slot individuals together. I think that's a different conversation. Can we, can we make it work between us? Do you know that movie, um, Goodwill Hunting?
1: Oh my God. It's and, my favorite movie ever.
2: Oh, it's so good. And he's in this moment where he's talking about his wife.
1: Oh my God. Just sitting at the bench. Yes. That, that and perfect he, scene at the bench where he's talking to Matt Damon. Sorry, I'm just going to ruin it because it's No, like that's my good.
2: And you probably know this better than I do. But he goes into this part where how he, you know, misses the flaws of his wife. And I think it's even about farting. He's like, she used to fart all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's
1: such a beautiful. See, it's all pointing down to the poo test. I'm just saying that people might have found something really valuable from me instead of Tasha. <laughs>
2: Pretty much. (laughs) No, I'm
1: just kidding. Let's say, you know, you date someone, whatever, it's for a long time and and you break up. And I Mm -hmm. think even in breakups, there's a lot of shame because people judge you if you get, well, first of all, there's a usage of the word dumped. You got dumped. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most people don't want to admit that they got dumped. I've been most, I've always been dumped. I've never been a dumpy. So I always found that there's a lot of shame in admitting that. What's the thinking? Like, how do people deal with a breakup?
2: All right, there's lots of places I could go here. I did my TED Talk on breakups because I felt like it was needed to be talked about. A lot of people go into, they can start their drinking binges, drug uses. So it goes into these dark, dark holes. And some people just don't recover, especially when they're, I don't know, you think out of their marriage or they, any of it. It just hits our self-esteem. And so I think there's the initial wave that can happen. I guess some research was saying the worst part of the breakup is the first two weeks. And then obviously if it's a different relationship, like a fourteen year marriage, it's trickier, like it's longer months, or depends on the whole individual relationship. But there's a lot of like learning to self-soothe and it hits our self-esteem. And there's an interesting place where in the dating world of breakups, let's say it's certain dates of why it didn't work out, um some people will go and saying, "Well, it's bad chemistry, it's bad timing," and the peop- they are the ones who end up going back out there and doing better. Versus the ones that use the character, the character assassination, mm. or going something wrong with me. I am bad. I am flawed. And so that distinction is huge on how to move forward, help soothe yourself, gather around your friends, reflect on the relationship, see, learn your patterns that you did. What could you have done differently and really take that time. And nothing's wrong with that. That is Mm -hmm. fabulous. There is some points of saying that some people, if they go out and have rebound sex or a rebound relationship, that that helps their self-esteem in some way. Mm-hmm. or I mean, they're getting physical touch. So I don't want to, but that, that can also cause a lot of problems for somebody because then they're out there maybe hooking up with somebody they don't want to or they, they don't realize they're actually getting into a rebound relationship. Yeah. They, and then they didn't communicate to that person that because they didn't know it themselves and then they feel bad and then they're in a whole different rather yep. relationship. I never even dealt with the first relationship. Yes. And it's just like a bigger mess. Yeah. So it's so individual. It's knowing yourself, communicating with the person.
4: Hi, I'm uh, Hal Herzog. I'm Professor of Psychology Emeritus at Western Carolina University. I am the author of the book, Some We Love, Some We Hate, Some We Eat, Why It's So Hard to Think Straight About Animals. Uh, my research and writing are in the area of human-animal interactions.
0: That sounds amazing. What was the biggest surprise to you as, a, a, you know, as someone who's a researcher?
4: That that's so. That's just a terrific question. What what really surprised me probably within the last 15 years. I've changed I've changed my mind about the pets being good for people and the impact of animal assisted therapies. And I Ooh. when I first got into this field, I was sort of blown away by all this research coming out. That you know if you get you know people people with pets um, survive heart attacks more and uh, you get happier and stuff like that. And, and one of the things I, at the time, the one, one of the areas of human-animal interactions of anthozoology that I was not interested in was the relationship between people and pets, because I figured everybody else was doing that. You know, why should I do it? I want, you know, they, they don't need me. I could do other, th- other things. I, I only got interested in that when I wrote my book and I had to have a chapter on pets. And part of that chapter had to deal with the with the research on are pets really good for people, and they make it therapists and stuff like that. And when I actually started digging, taking a deep dive into the literature, I thought one most of this research isn't very good, and number two, the research that was good, a lot of it showed no effects. But you never you never read about that because it wasn't in the newspaper, and it doesn't make the yeah. media. And researchers tend not to publish their own negative results. I've I've become people have publicly called me like, you uh, know, the the curmudgeon in the field because <laughs> great... because I've been so critical. Well, how that it's... area of research and that was a big surprise for me. That, that...
1: well, how you've touched on something really really important. There is I was going to ask you what do you you know how do you evaluate good research because a lot of people you know these days especially we read something and we quote it because it makes us look cool. And it makes us sound smart, but you you pointed out that a lot of times researchers don't want to publish negative results because would that affect funding
4: I th- I think there's a number of reasons it, yes number one it does affect it does affect funding you don't want to be the person that your, your experiments <laughs> usually usually show that that pets don't help people when some of the biggest funders in this whole area are pet products companies they want they want to fund researchers whose work shows that this is good. But the other thing is, I think most people go into the field of studying our relationships with animals because they're animal lovers. And they deeply mm. believe, deep in their heart, that they know the difference that their pets have made in their life, which I do believe is 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 true. They have made those differences. And so they come into the field. They don't come into it neutral.
5: They yeah. come into it with
4: bias. a very strong bias with a certain mindset. The other thing that researchers do, and I, this is a real concern of mine, is that not only uh, do they not publish uh, negative results, they also spin their negative results to make it sound like it's positive, even in their research articles. And a lot of yeah. times, I will read a research article, and and sometimes I'll just read one, and you know, I can just skim it and look at. But sometimes I'll think, you know, this this isn't clicking for me. Like I want to go back and. Look at really carefully at the numbers in those tables. Fair amount of times when I do that, I find, "Wait a minute, these numbers aren't jiving." <laughs> yeah. Or the numbers jive, but they're only emphasizing in the discussion in their abstract. Let's let's say they looked at ten variables, and uh, eight of the ten came out negative, and, and 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 they completely de-emphasize or don't even mention the parts of their studies that came out negative. And so there's yeah. spin, there's media spin. The the papers only want to print the stuff that that makes people feel good. There's not publishing negative results, the file drawer effect, and then there's also spin that re- researchers do with their own with their own data.
1: Just being who you are, Hal, and and kind of always questioning your ideas and your theories, even after doing years of research. I think one of the ideas that really baffled you and kind of baffles me is you know how the nazis were really big on animal protection and in a time of like absolute mutilation that was going on when it came to humans but at the same time they could be so protective of animals how how do you explain that or have you been asking yourself that question or doing some more research into that because i'm i'm interested in this
4: There's tons of paradoxes in our interactions with animals. So for example, in the United States, surveys show that uh, roughly 60% of people, if you ask them, do you think animals should have the same rights as people? 60% of Americans say yes. Or do you think animals should have the right to live? 60% say yes. 95% of Americans eat animals. So you can't have 95% (laughs) of people eating animals and most of those people thinking that animals have a right to live. Yeah. So we see, tons, we see tons of examples like that. And to me, this is a component of human nature, that we have this incredible capacity to be morally inconsistent. Psychologists talk a lot about cognitive dissonance and how we're driven to be consistent in our behavior and our attitudes. I, I think that's overrated as a psychological principle. Okay. But to me, the, the Nazi animal protection movement, is the most, is the thing that I, I have the hardest time wrapping my head around. And let me just explain what the deal was with that for your listeners. Hil- Hitler was, a, was an animal lover. Uh, mm-hmm. He didn't just love his dog Blondie, you know, but he, uh, he, he was very concerned with animal welfare and animal ethics. He, although some, veg- some vegetarians don't think he was a true vegetarian, he at least claimed to be a vegetarian. When the Nazis came to power... It wasn't just Hitler, but it was a lot of the Nazi hierarchy were involved in animal protection. They enacted they enacted the world's most progressive animal, animal protection legislation. And so they, are, they had laws protecting the use of animals in movies. They banned hunting with dogs. Uh, they restricted animal research. They even had laws uh, pr- protecting or, or trying to ensure the welfare of lobsters that were boiled in Berlin restaurants. So one of Hintzler, Hitler's henchmen in charge of the concentration camps, said if anyone is mean to an animal i will throw them in a concentration camp and the weirdest thing was wow. in 1942 the nazis banned the jews from having pets so they rounded up all the da- the dogs and cats owned by the jews the remaining jews in germany and they killed their pets but they had already they had enacted the world the world's first humane slaughter act so when they slaughtered when they killed the the pets of the Jews—they did so as painlessly. <laughs> At the same time, they're throwing to the owners of these dogs and cats in the concentration camps, where they lived the most and died the most miserable of lives.
0: This is so
4: twisted. How how you can do that? I don't know. Yeah.
1: Okay, so I have a theory, Hal. Oh my god! I have this theory. let hear right. it. So my theory is that. I think there is some sort of control that you can have on people when you appeal to them via animals. I think the fact that they could go, all right, we're going to protect animals, but we're going to kill the Jews, but we're going to protect animals, but we're going to protect animals, but we're going to kill the Jews, but we're going to protect the animals. I I think somehow, because when people are humane, like even if you look at the current society, yes... People getting murdered is the worst thing. But as soon as they think about a dog getting murdered or a dog getting killed, people are like, oh, that's really sad. And they take a moment to actually mourn and it hits them really hard. And I think the the Nazis probably understood the appeal of, of, you know, going, we care about animals. We value them because they can't talk. They can't speak the same language. But we care about them. And it shows their empathy or compassion. So they're not seen as those
0: complete monsters monsters yeah i don't know
1: it's a hypothesis what do you think hal <laughs> tell me i'm right
0: i okay well well
4: i well i think i think it's interesting but i i think that it has so so you're arguing that there was a conscious attempt by the mm-hmm. nazis to use that yes yeah um that is a testable hypothesis um i think it's wrong
0: <laughs> of
1: course we're going to edit this of course right we're going to edit this <laughs> i, I
4: agree, agree with you how. It is <laughs> because, what, because, what, because what your theory implies <laughs> what your theory your, your theory implies is that um the average german would be, be would, would be kind to relatively kind to animals that vegetarianism would have gone up and mm. uh you know stuff like that and so that would be a testable hypothesis
1: but okay, my my thing here's my argument is that the idea of you caring about animals and you being vegetarian, I think, are actually two different concepts. I, I think they're Yeah. Yeah, I think there could be an overlap, but the possibility is that there might not be as big an overlap as we think. The other thing is that the whole idea of Because it probably doesn't only baffle you, Hal. Like the moment I heard you talking about this on another podcast, I was like, holy shit, that baffles me. So the idea that it baffles us that they could do this on one hand and still be caring about animals, I think there was a conscious decision somewhere there where they would have gone, how can we still look like we're not monsters? And Mm. and I think animal brutality is typically, you know, everyone is pretty clear that animal brutality is pretty bad. Right, unless it comes to eating, and I think eating is a whole different thing. But if you treat your dog, <laughs> yeah, and I don't even want to go there, but if you treat your dog <laughs> like shit, everyone I thinks think Al, whether they're meat eaters or non meat eaters. Hell's left.
0: Oh, <laughs> He's just walked on, off.
1: Al. What are you laughing about? What theories have you come really up funny on this Thursday that morning that he got
0: up <laughs> and it looked like he walked off from your hypothesis?
1: Hal, in some cons- in some cultures that would be considered really rude. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, God. But
1: yeah, so uh, I think everyone, majority of people think that, you know, mistreating animals is bad, regardless of whether they're meat eaters or not.
4: Not true. 80% of Amer- 80% of Americans approve of hunting, hunting, <laughs> So hunting, hunting
1: for, for pleasure or hunting
4: for food. Well, most people don't hunt for you. You don't need to hunt for pleasure anymore. I mean, you don't need yeah. to hunt for food anymore. Yeah. yeah. Most of the vast majority of people that hunt for pleasure because they get some out of the woods and stuff like that for example you know our, our preferences in dog breeds show show that yeah you know when, when dog breeds that when dog breeds that are are, are bred specifically far genetic deformities yeah mm-hmm. become incredibly popular you know these brachycephalic dogs mm-hmm. they're yeah. bred far far deformities uh some of them that some of the cutest ones are um, you know, like these King Charles Cavalier Spaniels, yeah. that their, their heads are so deformed, their brain, they're, they're, they, they suffer from chronic migraine headaches because their, oh. their brains don't fit very well into their skulls. I'm not convinced that humans are natural you know, animal lovers. And
0: But you've done work on animal loving animals.
4: Let's take two, maybe three studies that I did, specifically people that love animals really deeply. One group of people were animal rights activists. They loved animals deeply. Another group that I studied, circus animal trainers. These are people that love animals to a depth that I've, more than any, any people I've met, yet they, you know, tiger trainers that are carting these big cats,
3: mm-hmm.
4: big, these big wild animals around the country in a semi-truck to, so that they can do stupid pet tricks for people in, in circuses. I, I've interviewed dozens of circus animal trainers trying to find out how these people can love animals and at the same time engage in a you know, behaviors that, you know, most people consider unethical and, and have a dying way of life. And then the other group of st- that I studied were also people who had enormous respect for animals, were, were the cockfighters that I studied, you know, for my doctoral dissertation. And these are guys who it, it would like raise these roosters for a couple of years. Yeah. Incredibly proud of them and uh, have them fight other roosters with steel gaffs tied to their, their heels, to their feet. And 50% chance, any rooster is going to die that night. So, and so to me, to me, the idea of, of Hitler being an animal lover, you know, and still being you know, throwing people in concentration camps it is can't like, coexist. not too much different than these rooster fighters that raise these birds and then engage in this horrible blood sport.
1: But I'm just thinking because we somehow have evolved, in quotes, quicker than other animals, or, having that idea that we might have evolved quicker, like has that caused more problems?
4: I think the big brain failed evolutionary experiment. I think what makes us exceptional for me for me is we have the ability to transmit culture and knowledge mm-hmm. very rapidly from generation to generation and from person to person, and so what that meant was that um, you know with other species, you know, I hate to use the term Lamarckian you know le- you know cultural evolution is Lamarckian, but in some ways it is. Things that you learn in your lifetime, you can transmit to your kids. You can transmit to your students. Ideas can now spread so rapidly, but we don't have the moral sense. I don't think we have the moral sense to, to, to manage it. We're stuck with the tragedy of the common. I mean, I am, I am not optimistic for the future. We, we, we've, we've already destroyed most of this. You know, we're destroying species at a rate greater than, than the meteor that caused the mm. dinosaurs to, to all go extinct. So that's that we are the, the big brain has basically been this giant meteor that struck the earth mm-hmm. and caused most species to go no extinct. I wouldn't say I like the idea of human exceptionalism. I would say that I, I think that we have these special qualities which give us more moral responsibility and that we have not lived up to that moral responsibility. One of my favorite quotes is from Are you familiar with the movie The African Queen? It's a classic movie, it starred uh, Humphrey Bogart and Katharine oh. Hepburn. And uh, Catherine uh, Hepburn looks at, looks at Humphrey Bogart, in, uh, whose name is Mr. McNutt, in the movie. She says, nature, Mr. McNutt, is what we are here to overcome. And so we weren't put here to overcome nature, but we can't turn to nature for moral guidance. But we are the only species that has the, the potential to overcome yeah. our natural tendencies. Yeah. Some, are, some are good and some are bad. You know, we're, we're, we're naturally gregarious. We're naturally social. But we're also natural speciesist and natural racist in some ways and natural Mm -hmm. sexist. So all those things come naturally to us, but we have the potential at least to to overcome those.
5: I'm Constantine Sandis. I'm a philosopher, for lack of a better word. I teach at the University of Hertfordshire in the UK. And I work in a number of areas of philosophy, so I guess in some sense my research interests are fairly broad, but a lot of them at least begin or revolve around what's called philosophy of action, which might not be what it sounds like, so that's something we can get into. And I'm particularly interested, on the one hand, how that relates to issues in psychology, and on the other hand, two questions in ethics.
1: Uh, the first thing you said was the idea of Mr. Kant here saying that there has to be a reason, which is why you kind of wrote the book, Things We Do and Why We Do Them. You talk about that, you know, there could be a million reasons for doing something. And there are lots of different theories about which are working together at play at the same time, rather than one theory trying to explain that.
5: Um, that, that that's kind of correct. So so there's a people. It's it's very um, common these days in, in philosophy for people to talk of reasons in the plural, like the reason why I did this, the reason why you did that, and so on. Uh, so so there are reasons in the plural, but then we talk about a reason or the reason, and w- exactly what that what that kind of means. Is there such a thing as the reason? why anybody does anything. Kant and his predecessors like Hume, they they do talk about reasons in this sense somewhere. I had to spend some time persuading a Hume scholar that no, Hume really does talk about reasons in this sense. And that's because they mainly talk about reason as a kind of faculty. Oh, yeah. So there's the faculty of reason, I suppose, contrasted to emotion. And this goes all the way back to sort of ancient philosophers um, in Asia and in the Mediterranean who would talk about sort of reason versus the passion. So Stoics, for example, interested in don't let the passions get the better of you, remove all desire, and this kind of notion that we find in, in Buddhism on the one hand and in Hellenistic philosophy on the other, where um, you should be cool and not let things like anger or jealousy or any passions get the better of you, but rather follow reason. Um, and I guess when we talk today about reasons, there's still th- that remnants of that debate are there because people ask, there um, are the views that reasons are really desires. I should just do whatever I want to do or you know, some variation of that. And there are people who think, no, no, Reason should really be facts or objective things or nothing to do with, with desires. And they should um, kind of be tied to what people used to think of as the faculty of, of reason.
0: I feel as if maybe reason comes down to ethics as well, right? So if we're talking about ethically speaking, there are a lot of things that we have the passion towards doing but may not be moral to do so or ethical to do so.
5: Yeah, so there's a lot of people who who think reason is what separates us from the other animals, for example. So they think without reason we'd be like wild beasts or something like that. Um so they don't have morality the way we have and then that there you get that connection between reason and morality. And I don't know if you've seen this in sort of paintings, but there used to be uh, things called morality plays and, and you'd have the character on the stage and then a little devil would appear on one side of them whispering in their ear and then a little angel would appear on the other side telling them, don't do it and the devil says, no, come on, do it do it, and it's that, what you're describing sounds like that kind of tension mm-hmm. uh, and then as kind of morality evolved and maybe also in hand, hand with some religions you get the yeah. idea that sort of the angel is the voice of reason somehow and and the little devil is is, is the voice of passion. passion. And that's, of course, a, a caricature because, you know, sometimes your passions may be very altruistic. Your passion might tell you to give all your money to a cause that you really believe in, for example. So, so that kind of way of, of contrasting things, isn't always true to you know the thought that passion is always the negative thing and reason is somehow constraining it
0: the one thing I always think about is the id and ego which I feel goes hand in hand with this as well right like we say stuff and this is I think a de- not a debate I think this is the conversation Sahil and I were have having where basically we were saying well he he said that we all have sort of animalistic desires as human beings, you know, which...
1: We are an animal, right?
0: Oh, yeah, 100%. And my thing was is that, well, yes, however, we have society and we have laws which teach us to not go out of control or out of line with those things. And so, you know, his argument was is that, like, the only difference between the two is that we we have learnt how to navigate those behaviours and that's the only difference between us and say an animal which kind of you know if, if you think about that then are you taking into account the fact that there is the eat and the ego is that something you
5: That's a very interesting question I so in a way you know you, you set it up in a way if I say no I don't take it into account it sounds like I'm <laughs> ignoring the aspects of Freud um, in, into account in places but I, I'm not a sort of paid up I'm Freudian, and I, I've used some of these distinctions with, with maybe a little bit of skepticism, but also kind of you know they they might be interesting for some of these questions and not others. But I I'm mainly interested in sort of talking about things that don't require the reader to subscribe to this the Freudian version of this division. Having said that, especially when I'm doing stuff on coming out from of David Hume's philosophy, a big thing in, in Hume is that we're not as different from the animals, the other animals, as we think we are. Um, that doesn't mean that there's no such thing as morality or, or that there's no such thing as reason and that you know, we might humans might have um, th- these things to a different degree from certain uh, other kinds of, of animal. But it's the thought that a lot of what about the foundation of these things. And he wants to say, you know, at at the foundational level, our instincts are very much kind of animal instincts and everything else is built on those. We can't pretend those things don't exist and that we're just going to have a reason at the foundation. And this is, I think, relevant on the one hand to things like AI, which we were sort of mentioning briefly at, at the beginning. Um, so there's kind of debates about whether um, AI would be purely rational or whether it needs to be what I'm skeptical about what this would even mean, but programmed to have empathy and emotions and so on. But those debates are you know in a sense debates about the positive value of something like empathy, which falls on the emotion side of things. Well, there should be a
1: robot making food for you or cleaning the house for you. That's Mm -hmm. definitely something we need a robot for.
5: Exactly. And I wouldn't want it to have feelings. Yeah, because you'd feel bad for it it as well.
1: No, because they would bully you, be like, oh, you've had too much chocolate today. I don't want to fucking take that from a robot. The judgment.
5: Working too hard or whatever. I don't want want it to be a a machine. A machine. Right? That isn't conscious, that doesn't have feelings, that you're not. That, that, you're not, that no one is being harmed if you're making it clean 24-7. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I, would, <laughs>
1: I would like my AI to be my slave so humans can't be right. exploited anymore.
5: Yeah. And and so, so again, it's this thought that passions aren't just, you know, animals wanting to have sex in the woods or kill each other or whatever, but a passion can be, um, Hume used the word sympathy rather than, than empathy, but it's it's about, that feeling towards others who are suffering, for example, and what kind of morality would we have if we didn't have a natural feeling of sympathy towards those in in plight and and for people um, like him, that's very very important where on the one hand you have kind of optimists like like Rousseau who think we need to go back to um the the sort of the purity we had in nature before society corrupted us all and then on the other hand you you have kind of people like like Thomas Hobbes who who think without the kind of leviathan of of law we would all just be killing each other and stealing from each other and so on
0: I think that we're innately we have got a sense of compassion for one another and that's that's Inbuilt in us, but not just because of or to be a kind or good person. I think that it's inbuilt in us to keep our species to survive. I think we have to have it a little bit to kind of help each other thrive and be able to live on because if that was the case, we'd just all die out as a species.
1: Constantine, I I actually did have um, something to point out and then a question which is what I feel religion actually gave us are two things. It gave us choice. It kind of really pointed out the fact that we have a choice. And at the same time, religion actually made us more individualistic rather than collective because before religion came in as a tribe, our whole goal was for the tribe to survive. And the the reasonable thing was to make sure to do everything to make sure that The tribe got to eat, the tribe got to sleep, but it was all tribal. Religion sort of became about you and doing the right thing and that we all have a choice. So under Hume philosophy, how do you define choice? And is choice something that, you know, that's given to us as compared to animals and that kind of makes it makes us so different to all the other animals? Is that we have choice? Would that be true?
5: I, I have a view on this, but I, I was dying to ask you what you meant by choice when you said religion gives us Yeah, because us I got choice. confused so, by
0: that too, because I feel as if religion almost doesn't well, give you choice.
1: Religion gives you a choice in the sense of uh, what I meant that, okay, you have the choice to either you know, do bad to someone or do good to someone. Uh, if you do good to someone, great. If you do bad to someone... There's you, consequences. Yeah, you've you made the wrong choice. When you subscribe to a particular religion, you are making a choice. So there's something about it which makes you go, I'm choosing this because I find this I can relate to.
0: But that's, in, that's based on the notion that that particular religion says that there are other religions for you to join. If that's the only religion at the time, how can it?
1: I don't think there was never just... There was just one religion at a time. I think there were different things that were going yeah. on at the same time.
0: I know, but each religion says that they're the only true religion.
1: Not every religion.
0: Okay, well, Christ- the ones that I know of, the the strongest ones.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Hinduism doesn't say that because Hinduism is knows the fact that there are other religions that exist. But they will yeah. tell you that if you did practice Hinduism, or Buddhism for that matter too, which comes from Hinduism, mm. it says that, you know... If you follow Buddhism, you can get this, this, this. Yeah, These are the rules that you have. You can live by. Anyways, we have derailed the conversation. Completely. But- I,
5: like the pic- I, no, I like the picture you're painting, but, but I do wonder about sort of... So It, it sounds like, you know, you know, when I come of age, I, I, I go onto my laptop and I have a menu and it has all the religions and I'm sort of flipping <laughs> through them, you know, like a catalogue going, oh, here are the pros and cons of yeah. Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Yes. Here are mm-hmm. the pros and And then I get to pick. Um, Or you don't pick and And
1: you become an atheist or uh, what's it? Or you
5: grow up in a
0: religion. Yeah. You just grow up in a religion and you don't get the choice to question.
5: Who does say it's I think for for many people, whether it's atheism or a religion, of course, people might, you know, rebel against what they. But in those early stages of childhood, you do grow up with something. You don't Mm -hmm. choose that. That's true. You do grow up within a particular religion or within a particular kind of secular family um, or whatever. And while you may, at some later point, have a choice, that choice is...
0: You have, yeah, but you don't have the choice as such as in like, I don't know, my opinion is, is that a lot of the time you're too afraid to make that choice as well, right? Because of being ostracized by the community or family or whatever.
5: So that, that choice you've got, it's not coming from out of nowhere. You're already, you know, it's within an environment and within your, you know, your psychology is already what it is, um, probably not through the result of, of choice. Um, as, as for, I mean, I mean Hume was um, what's nowadays called a compatibilist, which means that he thought that free will and determinism are compatible. So he believes that there is such a thing as choice. He's not one of these people who thinks that if um, determinism is true, there would be no free will or no free choice. But he he kind of goes further than most compatibilists in that he thinks not only are they compatible, but if there was no no determinism there couldn't be free choice because it would all be kind of random or a fluke. So Mm -hmm. for him, the fact that there are causes of a certain kind is required for things like choice, um, decision, um, free action, and so on. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, How do you define determinism?
5: There's kind of different ways of of, of doing this, but it, it roughly boils down to the thought that Um, Everything has a cause and is determined by that cause. So our actions and our, um, including what's sometimes called mental actions, so our acts of thinking, are all caused by things that are ultimately out of our control. Hard determinists think that if this picture is true, that something is always causing us or that our actions are events with prior causes they think oh that means there can't be such a thing as choice or free will
1: so it was Um, like it was fate
5: fated in Uh in some way predetermined if you like
1: all right I hope you guys I hope you guys enjoyed that (laughs) you might you fucking guys bloody guys enjoyed that
0: um and
1: see, I was I was better. So I'm glad you guys enjoyed that. I know you guys enjoyed that. What we did want to do is at the end, just take a few. We want to thank a few people who have made I this you were possible. you going to ask
0: for like a moment of silence
1: for, for my joke? Because <laughs> it was dead.
0: Um. Yeah. We do. We need to thank them.
1: Yeah, and you know there have been some people who have been with us since the beginning.
0: Hmm. Net Pedro.
1: The two mics. What? Because they have been the mics. We can't really have a podcast without the two oh, mics. Oh,
0: you want to thank the mics. Yep.
1: Yeah, mics are pretty much more important. I realise that I <laughs> breathe on them too hard.
0: Yes. Yeah, so Sahil has this issue where he's, he used to breathe into the mic and I'd have to edit his breathing out.
1: Yeah, like in real time, she would edit me in life. She'd be like, fucking don't you. do it.
0: Yeah, I would look at you yeah. or nudge you. Um, I was like,
1: nudge is putting it softly. You'd be like, fucking just don't do it. Oh, people can't see.
0: No, they can't see me.
1: And I wonder how they make radio interesting.
0: Mm, but that's really
1: yeah yeah anyways moving off topic uh pedro uh, who's in colombia yes uh, who wants to move to australia actually yes he'll be
0: joining us soon
1: yes he's got an awesome instagram page where he puts up so he is our graphic designer so all the amazing covers that you've seen for our podcast episodes he's put them together they're
0: possible because of him
1: yeah and he puts them together i kid you not in less than like 24 hours
0: not even. Sometimes he does it within a couple yeah. of hours. He's insane.
1: And he's an amazing fucking artist. Who, in my opinion, everyone should hire him now. Because if you don't, he's he'll gonna be too get big. too
0: big, and then you're all gonna miss out.
1: But while we were, while he was with us, he went from what, like 800 followers to like 4,000, 5,000 followers organically.
0: Yeah. Like I'm just sure. organically. Yeah, yeah.
1: Like so, he's gone like five, six fold.
0: Is he, it's, I think he's more than that. But anyway. Yeah,
1: but he's constantly growing now. Um, yeah. Yeah, so Pedro, he was a graphic designer and he's... Was, is. Well, he
0: is.
1: (laughs) And he's going to be coming to Australia soon. So we'll definitely be working with him in the future.
0: Yes. On all our other projects.
1: So I just had to check his Instagram again and he's actually got 9,000 followers.
0: Yeah, so Pedro Arbelez. Yeah. Am I saying it right? Arbelez?
1: We've known him for like a year and a half, (laughs) but you still don't know how to say his name. (laughs) No, it's because I don't want to... You don't want to fuck it up. I don't want to... Yeah. It's Pedro Arbelez.
5: Muchas gracias a los que nos han seguido en diferentes partes del mundo. En este caso, especialmente a los que entienden español. Les deseamos una feliz Navidad y un próspero año nuevo. Hi, I'm Pedro, graphic designer, the one in charge of putting some color to our episodes. It's been a wonderful journey, which I have learned a lot while having fun, and I hope you have too. Best wishes to all and Merry Christmas.
1: The next person we want to thank is uh, Chris. Chris you don't need to mouth Chris at me. Yeah,
0: yeah, I don't know why. We're
1: live. It doesn't matter. You can just say he's
0: not. <laughs> I'm like whispering it to him.
1: <laughs> um, so, yeah, Chris. So, Chris will
0: be listening to this anyway. So, yeah. hi, Chris. But
1: And so is Pedro.
0: Yeah, you yeah, know, but as in while he's editing this. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Totally. So, now, no surprises there. He is our editor. Yes,
0: yes. he makes them all sound glorious. Mm-hmm.
1: And he adds all the music, uh, the sound effects. He does really weird sounds. Yep. Like, yeah, he sends really...
0: um Sahil lots of um WhatsApp voice notes, voice notes
1: with different accents,
5: yeah, yeah, kind of talk like you Australians, And so doing that.
0: different accents, different sounds, different voices, but they're all my own voice, though,
3: I think.
1: And yeah, and he is based in New Zealand, yes, and, and he
0: is awesome,
1: yep, and funny it's, guy. His name is Chris Foreman, again, really awesome editor,
0: swamp. Shack Studio Yeah, that's it
1: Yep, see that one you knew
0: Yes And Pedro
1: Arbelez See, easy I'm learning things You're learning it right at the right time
0: Just when it's all ending
1: Exactly
5: (laughs) Well, thank you very, very much for having me It's been great uh, This sitting in my padded room Internationally talking and hearing all these voices Not only in my head But also from people that know their stuff And what better way to get it out than these um you know around the edges get the get the great stuff it's called couching isn't it anyway it's been a lovely journey and very much hoping that there's going to be more things happening i was thinking what is it are you guys breaking up or are you having a baby or what this there's more things happening i'm sure there's more things happening you can't stop or whatever the saying is i don't know insert saying here
1: um who else do we want to thank Um, So we had a new team member who joined us um, whose name is David and he's based in Ireland. And his name is David Boland, so he just joined us uh, from Ireland and he's been editing some of our podcast episodes recently as well. So
0: that we sound like really straightforward, no fucking around. We know our shit. He makes us sound like we know our stuff.
1: Yeah, because a lot of people who do podcasts, they don't edit it. They just, yeah, like, yeah, record and just put it online. In. Whereas
0: I'm really funny about that.
1: I don't think you're funny. I think you're anal. <laughs> funny would be good. We'd have a good <laughs> fucking laugh. You're not funny with that.
0: Fuck off. I'm funny.
1: Uh, the next person we want to f- <laughs> oh. we want to thank is... Um, well, who else do we want to thank?
0: No, let's. I've got to write, say more stuff about David.
1: Oh, yeah. We haven't said shit about David. Yeah, you He'll just fucking,
0: kill us. He's going to be like, seriously, these people are fucking listen to their shit. That's true no, but legit he's a he's a funny guy, so he does um random sort of videos and he does a lot he's a of work. very good musician yeah great musician sings really well yeah um he's got um really cool videos up that are very inspirational actually
1: he's very hippie
0: he's a- <laughs> yeah he's, I
1: think he'll admit it
0: he'll admit it yeah
1: and i I think if you're going to be a hippie, Ireland is a place to do it, yeah, I just mean- in the mountains and you know. Like, yeah. I can just imagine him going out in the woods fucking cutting his own wood to, like, heat yeah. his own, make his own fire.
0: And to make, like, and then put, like, a pot on there with, yeah. with sort of, like... And
1: then put beans from a can. of,
0: like... No, that's an Aussie thing to do, I think.
1: Oh, yeah. Maybe it is.
0: He'd make tea.
1: Yeah, he'd make tea, for sure. <laughs> yep. Not chai. He'd make tea.
0: Yeah, th- uh, tea. Yeah. Thai. Thai. <laughs> <laughs> thai. <laughs> he'd make Thai. <laughs> so, yeah. No, so we wanted to thank him because he came on board very last minute when I think we were, we were getting pretty swamped. Yeah. And we really needed that extra, you know, editor um, on board. So, yeah, and he does a brilliant job. He learned it really quickly. He knew straight off about what we wanted.
1: Which is really hard for someone to get just is, the yeah. sense of the podcast and what it should sound like.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, I, I get rid of so many things and I'm always like, really, I, it takes me a full day to edit.
1: Yeah, so Hoda has always edited our podcast. So she's the woman behind it.
3: Hello my friends, this is David sending you all blessings from Ireland. Thank you for being here and have a beautiful evening, a beautiful holiday season, a beautiful rest
1: of your life.
0: So yeah, so now, you know. Now I'm it- the
1: creative force. You're yep. just a force.
0: <laughs> to be reckoned with.
1: Yeah, sure. That's That's one way to put it.
0: <laughs> so yeah that's our little team
1: yeah we had an amazing team who helped us you know they were in touch every week and, and I, they
0: had great turnover
1: yeah turnaround is profit profits
0: is it oh we no no we didn't make any profits yeah out of so
1: no profits <laughs> which is one of the reasons we're like fuck this shit
0: <laughs> no well because we can't well yeah it's hard to afford but also we need to like actually eventually get to a point where we will make money from.
1: Yeah, and and I think a lot of people should certainly have this experience of making a podcast because it's very interesting that Huda used to hate her voice in the beginning. I and now hated you're okay the sound with it of my
0: voice. Now I love it. What?
1: No, just pauses are good. <laughs> but you know, just speaking on a mic and like people yeah. who are you know, who are not used to public speaking, I think this is a great way to, you know, get get your voice out.
0: Mm-hmm. But more than anything, what I do want to say is that I learnt, I feel like I've learnt the most I've ever learnt in a small amount of time frame just from, from me, the people. From me. The people that we've spoken to. Me again. Not you. Oh, yeah. You have also spoken to this So we have actually learnt a, such a great deal from all of our guests. Like, we are absolutely blessed. And the conversations we've had have been fucking awesome.
1: Yeah, they've been, like, very intimate chats for people who are in different parts of the world and yeah. you're speaking over zoom
0: i know so it's just been a crazy awesome experience and i know it sounds really cheesy and i feel like oh yeah everyone says that but i'm actually I vegan cheesy it. though
1: because we can't eat normal cheese
0: <sighs> yeah well, we yeah
1: no we can't no I unless know you've can. been eating behind my back
0: <laughs> i'm just lying to you this whole time
1: you're actually eating meat in the I'm corner you wait for me to leave the house <laughs> You've got your fucking bowl with just <laughs> bones of fucking taking like, it out.
0: Yeah, nah. KFC. Oh, yeah. Oh, KFC. KFC. I'm
1: loving it. No, that's McDonald's. No, Finger licking good is KFC, right?
0: It is. Yeah. Mm. Anyways, so yeah, we've actually given them a fucking bit of airtime. Um, so, yeah, I guess that was it, really.
1: Yeah, so that's kind of what we wanted to you know end it on and we want to thank the listeners i i think yes maybe do that maybe that's a good idea that's a great idea yeah (laughs) and and there's especially been like certain friends and families who've like followed us from the beginning and those people need a special mention and i think they've been supportive Mm. i have a friend who's in the uk and i don't talk to him ever on the phone even though i should be (laughs) and he's like the only way i know you now is through podcast.
0: Oh, well, that's cute.
1: Which is really sweet.
0: It is really sweet. And I think the funny thing about this, and this is the funny thing... Um, about this? About this. I've said it again. Um... A lot of some of my friends actually who do listen, they often feel like they haven't not seen me for a while just because it's like they're listening to me through this. So yeah, it is kind of interesting. Yeah,
1: it's a different way of knowing someone.
0: It is. And they always ask me, they're like, oh, you know, does it feel weird knowing that like all sorts of people are listening to you from all over the world? I'm like, eh, a little bit, but I don't think about it. I don't think I think about it. Because no, you know, you we don't. just we just talk.
1: Well that's that's the advantage of, you know, having a podcast is You can just talk, and it's one of the most intimate ways of, you know, having a conversation and Mm -hmm. kind of getting to know someone.
0: Yeah. So yeah, no, it's been, it's been quite the journey.
1: Yeah. So thank you to all the listeners. Um, Yes. Thank you you for supporting us. Mm -hmm. And Um, all the
0: feedback we get.
1: Yeah. All the feedback we get. All the love. We don't
0: even put like that's the thing. I'm so shit with Instagram. Like I. Just, I'm really bad at social media, full stop. Like, even my own personal Instagram, I'm not great. Um, so to do the one for the business has been quite the challenge.
1: Yeah, especially if you have full-time jobs.
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, I feel like I hardly put the things that I could put up.
1: Yeah. And, look, you can. And that's the thing, right? It, it's it's an investment of time more mm-hmm. than anything else. It
0: is. And I don't like doing things half fast. You know, yeah. like, the amount of times we've actually... The amount of times that we've sat down to record and it's been a shit talk and I've gone, nah, fuck it, we're going to start over. And Sahil's, like, just like, yeah. Sahil's just like, this is fucking, this is draining. He's yeah, like,
1: I get annoyed because I never cast things because I always find something interesting come out of everything. But she has to edit it, so of course I understand why.
0: Yeah, but I'm like, if it's not a good conversation, I'm not afraid to get rid of it.
1: Yeah, no, and, and that's...
0: I hate forcing things.
1: Yeah, and that's called being a good editor. Yeah. So one of, one of the skills you also learn is to be a good edit, editor. And if you ever want to know what words or phrases you repeat in everyday life, just oh, fucking make a podcast. Yeah. Yours has been interesting.
0: interesting.
1: And yours is what's funny is, even though it's not remotely funny or remotely interesting for that matter.
0: What else do you say? You're, you know what you say all the time? You had to let people know you're an actor.
3: Hmm. Yeah. He was like,
0: well, I'm an actor to every guest. Yeah, I didn't do it. necessarily. like, it wasn't even relevant.
1: Like, your father died. I'm an actor, by the way. <laughs> it's got no... Like, n- there's nothing relevant about it. But, like, oh, yeah, you know, gay people should have equal rights. I'm an actor, by the way.
0: <laughs> just slip it in.
1: Yeah, pasta sucks. I'm an actor.
0: <laughs> I was just like, why are you doing this? I had to tell you at the end and I'd be like... I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but...
1: Yeah, I, and I didn't actually notice it, but it subconsciously <laughs> comes out. So it's it's very... In, if you want to know what your what you think about yourself, just record a podcast. <laughs> it will come out.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I guess that's it.
1: Yeah, and on that note, uh, thank you so much. We will see you soon in another medium. In another medium. way. In another way. In another way, in another universe, in another... Okay. Same okay. universe, probably. Same, maybe. Yep. And uh,
0: have an amazing Christmas. And it's and, coming up.
1: Yeah, and a fantastic New Year. Oh though, my
0: gosh, the New Year! We've spent so much of it. Like Although two I years think New Year's, year's is bullshit.
1: New Year's is fucking. I these. know,
0: but I think it's exciting for everyone this year because we're finally yep. coming out of lockdown.
1: Oh yeah, it's going to be the same next year.
0: Don't say that.
1: Yeah, I don't want to it. What out. a
0: fucking party pooper.
1: We'll edit it. We'll edit this no, out. No, you won't. Yeah, we won't edit this <laughs> out. So <laughs> okay. So fucking have a shitty fucking New Year. <laughs>
0: All right. Bye, everyone.
1: Thank you.